0: better get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
2: When man eats an animal, divine order is disturbed. The animal is denied the right of expression and man clogs his system with sewage and second-hand food. That was written in 1903, and after the break, we'll find out by whom and in what context when our guest is Reverend Carol Saunders of WolfAndTheLamb.com, but right now... Something very special is going on. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan program. If you like what you hear here, come on over to Facebook and join the Main Street Vegan podcast listeners group, and then you can have some direct input in what we do here. I'd love to hear from you. What a pleasure. Let me tell you where I am today. Brooklyn Borough Hall, New York City. And my guest is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. After 22 years as a New York City police officer, he served as a state senator and is now in his second term as Borough President. Now, despite this energy-intensive professional life, he was not always the picture of health, but he is today. And I believe that uh, that has something to do with plants. Welcome, Borough President Adams.
3: Thank you, Victoria. It's a real pleasure having you here in Borough Hall.
2: It is a pleasure to be speaking with you for sure. I know something Mm -hmm. of your story and something of all the wonderful things that you do here in Brooklyn. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Now, we are a church station, so we don't talk about politics, but I think it's important just because our listeners are all over the country and the world. To ask you two questions. One is, what's a borough, mm-hmm. and what's a borough president?
3: Uh, that's a great question. And the borough is what other people will call a town, or a county, or local municipalities. In New York City, we have five locations, five counties, and we identify those counties as borough. Brooklyn is the largest of those uh, of the five. Brooklyn has 2.6 million people, and most importantly, that I always attempt to express, 2.7 million of them speak a language other than English at home, or 47% of that 2.7. We have 2.7 residents. If we were a separate city, we would be the third largest city in America. And my role as the borough president is to make sure that the borough is receiving their share of resources and governmental services.
2: Fascinating. Well, I remember the third largest city from Welcome Back, Cotter. So that (laughs) dates me. So once upon a time, there were some physical problems going on with you. What were they and what happened?
3: Well, I believe that you opened the show with an important quote. And one quote that I think personifies my A health issue is from Hippocrates, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. And it is imperative that we take examination of that. I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in 2016, but not only was I dealing with a simple diagnosis, it was at its advanced stages that caused my eye loss in my left eye and a decrease in vision in my right eye as well. But I also was experiencing uh, permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet, the tingling that I was feeling. I thought it was just occasional falling asleep, but it was actually advanced stages of diabetes that could lead to amputation. After seeing five doctors here in the city who told me basically that I I inherited my mother's diabetic She has been diabetic 15 years, and my sisters and brothers are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. They basically say there's not much they can do about the vision loss and the nerve damage, and that subsequently, too, that eventually I was going to lose my sight. They gave me medicine that I should take right away, the traditional insulin, And three other medicines, one of them being the popular metformin. And I decided to look other other ways to see, is there another way to deal with diabetes and the impact of diabetes? And what did you find? I I reached out to some research research online. I like to say it was very scientific. I went to Google (laughs) and Googled reversing diabetes. And a wealth of information came up. I was really surprised at the volume of information and how readily available it was. And one organization I stumbled upon was PCRM, Physician Committee for Responsible Medicine with Dr. Barnard and others. Almost a thousand doctors are part of them. And one doctor uh, that we saw with Dr. Esselton, uh, we affectionately call him Dr. E- Dr. Essie. And he shared with me, I called him on the phone. And he told me to come down and see him. And I took a trip to Ohio, the Cleveland Clinic, and attended one of his small gatherings of those who were suffering from other chronic diseases. And although we were in a room for different chronic diseases, we all had the same prescription. Instead of the different medicines that individuals were taking, there was just only one medicine. And he gave us that information, and it was just going to a whole, food plant-based diet. Three weeks after embracing a whole, food plant-based diet, my eyesight cleared up three months after the diabetes went in remission and my nerve damage went away. The ulcer I had went away. My blood pressure normalized. My PSA normalized. And it was just a complete reversal from the conditions that I was experiencing.
2: That That is such a breathtaking story. And it's good for me to hear because you just did this in 2016. And I went vegan in 1983. Mm. So what's happened for me, I did lose a great deal of weight. Mm -hmm. But what's happened as the decades have passed is all these diseases that were very common in my family before people got to the age that I am now.
1: Mm.
2: I just I don't have them. And I feel terrific. And it's such a blessed way to
3: live. I think the highlight of the story is really not so much how it impacted me, but how it impacted you know a person I'm very close to, and that's my mother. She's 80 years old, and she was diabetic for 15 years and on insulin for seven. And she decided that she wanted to try and see if she could get it in remission. And this year, she tried, and two years after, or two months after, she was taken off of insulin and that is an amazing accomplishment at the age of 80. You tend to believe that the diseases are going to follow you as you move into life and the more you move into life when in fact it's not true. And it just dispelled the rumor that we heard so often and I recall the doctors that I visited, they asked the question, well does diabetes run in your family? And you often you'll say yes, but it's, in fact, it's not the fact that diabetes is running your family. It's, it's the dinner that's running your family, it's the food that we eat. We lived, coming from a Southern diet, we lived in a very high meat diet, meat consumption. Meat was the center of our meals. Whenever we celebrated holidays, birthdays, or just sat down and, and had some form of meal, it was a missing meal if it didn't have meat. Uh, now, it, it is not the right meal for me if it does have meat, mm. meat is completely removed from my diet.
2: Now, I heard you speak at the Montefiore cardiac conference a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned that your mother is also off another medication that she'd been on even longer. What was that?
3: She was on high blood pressure medicine for 57 years, and the doctors cut it in half. She she did not know life um, without medicine, and in fact, as far back as I can remember, I've always equated mother with taking some form of medicine at all. And it was just a part of a natural part of life. And I basically say, well, okay, I guess when I get to a certain age, I'm going to start taking some form of medicine. And it's just amazing how that myth and belief is incorporated into our lives, that we believe that your body breaks down naturally at a certain age, when in fact there's nothing natural about what we're going through. It's just the opposite. It is abnormal. It's abnormal. For us to have to need medicine to prop us up and to actually carry out with our daily lives.
2: Well, you're certainly showing something different. So, tell us a little bit about what your life is like now. What do you eat? How do you see the world?
3: Mm-hmm. It's very exciting now. And it's hard to believe that at 58, you, you almost feel as though you're just starting out in life. And the experience of embracing health and wellness and what it means and redefining those terms of what health and wellness means. And the power of food, it it was challenging for me to really understand and fully comprehend just the shift and how fast the shift happened. It wasn't as though uh, four or five years later, but it was within months. And in the case of my eyesight, it was it was within weeks. And so now we are trying to introduce this concept and way of life into government. We're doing several things with our children by trying to remove processed meat from our schools. It's clear that the WHO indicated that processed meat is a type one carcinogen. It is beyond reason that we are still selling food to our children, serving food to our children, particularly in the city where we serve over 900,000 meals a day to our children. And we're feeding the crises of asthma, obesity, diabetes. And we're moving to get processed meat out of our schools. We're going to go after dairy and what dairy does to our children and how it impacts. We're also looking at how do we introduce healthy food practices and procedures and behaviors in our school. We're contributing a large amount of money to our schools on allowing children to grow food and solve the food desert, the term we use here where you don't have healthy foods in certain locations. Many of our poorer areas of the city, they're lacking healthy food, and we call those food insecurities a food desert. We're teaming up with our schools to teach children how to grow food using hydroponics and different inventions and technology to show how you do soilless farming and then going out and giving the food to our senior centers and our public housing. And they're being part of the evolution. We've learned that if the child grows it, they'll eat it. And our goal is to show them exactly where their food comes from and participate in this educational experience. What I've envisioned in the next couple of years is using the rooftops of all of our school buildings as greenhouses, allowing our young people to grow food so we can get cars off the road and allow families to see the benefit of having locally grown food in a very healthy way, and then partner with those who are real advocates about our our environment. Too, far too many people don't realize or won't accept the fact that the largest impact on our ozone is animal waste. And as long as we continue to consume animal products, we're going to contribute, continue to contribute to the crisis. So d- dealing with cleaning up our fossil fuel, dealing with making sure that we burn cleaner vehicles, yet sit down after we do so and have a celebration with the steak, we did more <laughs> of a, in a, a crisis on our environment than anything. So we have to start having a real conversation about this.
2: So true. So in your line of work, I think those of us who are outside of the public service sphere look at someone who does what you do and think, well, your job is full of picnics and barbecues Mm -hmm. and catered banquets. How do you navigate that with a whole food plant exclusive diet?
3: That is such a great question because it does seem like, you know, I go from banquet to banquet from dinner to dinner, from county fair to county fair, so many different birthdays celebrations. And so naturally you see the traditional foods that are there. But it's amazing when you walk in the room and you walk in a room with a gender of eating healthy, you no longer focus on unhealthy items. You're now canvassing the room in a visual way, where are my healthy items? And every place you go, There's a list of healthy items that are there. They're just normally not the center of the conversation and of the food choice. If I go to a restaurant, instead of focusing on the main dishes, I'll go to the appetizers pages or the side order pages, and I'll put together my own meal. If I see a recipe that gives you steak and broccoli, now I say to myself, okay, they have broccoli (laughs) in the kitchen. If I see a kale with something, I'll say they have kale in the kitchen. So now I'll take the combination from the menu and put together my own dish and tell them how I want to cook it. Salt-free, sugar-free, oil-free, and don't include any meat products. And I never have a problem no matter what restaurant I go into or no matter what event that I go to. And sometimes I say that what I'll do prior to going, I will eat a healthy meal. This way, when I get there, I could just nibble on something that looks light because I already had a a healthy meal. I came into the place full. What I'm doing differently than what I did before, before I had my career surround how I ate. Now how I eat surrounds my career. Mm -hmm. I eat first to fuel my body first and don't allow my body to be secondary to anything. And everything waits to make sure I get the proper nutrition.
2: That is so inspiring. And I think in a busy world, I mean, I like to eat regular meals. I like to sit down and eat. The society seems to be built around it. Mm -hmm. You go on vacation, you're at a bed and breakfast. You get a job, they have to give you a lunch hour. Mm -hmm. And yet, I just feel like in the busy world, those kind of get shoved aside because we're supposed to be somewhere all the time. But to give it a priority... It's very
3: wise. They're so important. as a police officer, prior to becoming a state senator, I did 22 years with the police department. And I always say that many people gave that rumor that cops love donuts. That's not a rumor. We did. <laughs> <laughs> we ate all sorts of donuts and cake and pastries and fast food. We lived in fast food restaurants. And that was a habit that I developed. And that is why it's important for your listeners, because... Those habits you can break. it is not as though well this is what i 've done all my life, so i 'm going to continue to do it. That is untrue when you make up your mind when you look at your grandchildren, your godchildren, your spouse, or children, and you realize you want a healthy life with them. When you have a chronic disease, it hijacks your entire life and puts your entire family into a state of crisis, and everyone is trying to decide how you deal with it, how do you go from test to test. When you live disease-free, you are really showing how much you love your family because they no longer have to become a caregiver. They could be someone that you care for and you're giving them the love of good health. It's something that we can lead families in doing.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. I'm going to ask you something a little bit controversial. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the UK newspapers just announced New York city as the most vegan friendly city on the Mm -hmm. planet. Mm -hmm. And I think Brooklyn may well be the most vegan friendly part of, of that. And there are all sorts of wonderful restaurants and shops, but a lot of the vegan commerce is in more processed foods. So I go back and forth with myself on this. On the one hand, I'm thrilled that this can allow people in, those police officers who still want donuts. And yet, as someone who values health, you know, sometimes I want to say, maybe you could go into the kale business. What do you do with all that?
3: (laughs) That is so true. And I'm a firm believer in this concept of the, I tell my staff, the iPhone concept, the first version of the iPhone is not the iPhone 6 that we view now. There was a beginning version, no matter how strange it was. In fact, the first uh, iPhone or music device that was put out by Apple didn't have a phone on it at all, but it introduced people to the concept that we no longer needed a Walkman this big bulky device that had tapes attached to it. And people started to embrace that. And then they were open to further embracing. I am not a vegan restaurant guy because some of the vegan restaurant foods is just as unhealthy as if you were consuming unhealthy meat. I believe in natural whole food eating, and I think it's important. But I'm not going to look down on the person who's trying to make that transition and they're getting their taste buds used to being weaned off of meat. Let them do what they have to do, but it should be a gradual process because the demand the is going to impact the supply. Restaurants who are vegan and they want to continue to do business, they're going to have to evolve their product. Just as people no longer want those meat products, they're no longer going to want those products that is not as healthy because the goal is to save the animals but also to save the animal called human. We're part of that animal chain, just a different form of animal, but we're no different than a lion, tiger, or bear. We're just in another group, and we want to save the planet, and we have to eat the right foods to do so. That's
2: so true. So I know that you did come to this for health, and yet— your heart has really opened up to some of these other issues and someone was telling me. Oh, yes, I heard him talk about his his soul connection <laughs> to the animals, that this is really given you a, a degree of enlightenment. I think that you wouldn't have said you had in 2016. So tell us about that part of it.
3: It's a holistic approach and it's a holistic journey and there's a level of hypocrisy when I look at my mother and say I wanted to take her off insulin, yet I ignore the bond between a cow and a calf. That motherly love still exists and it doesn't dissipate. The characteristic of embracing a loved one, a child, a family. Is not something that's unique to humans, and that's the arrogance of human beings. It's easy to write the rules and state that the most important being is a human being. Yes, that's great if you wrote the rules, and I'm sure if we read the cow's Bible, they would say that the most important individual is the cow. The greatest among us are those who understand is not what we determine to be great, but to allow everyone to feel the same way. All human beings, all living beings— uh, deserve the right, so all you have to do is look at a mother who's weaning their uh, baby It's no different than the a uh, baby who's being weaned by their mother pig or a mother a uh, calf cow, cow feeding their their calf. I remember years ago watching uh ducks being following their mother in line and discipline. And I look at other animals, so it's a different approach when you fully embrace the importance of life and how you are supposed to respect all forms of life. And if you don't do that, then you really have not embraced the concept of what this journey is all about. This journey is about becoming whole, it's about the oneness and connecting all of these entities that are showing us that we are all part of the same universal spirit, the same universal soul, and we should connect that, make that connection to make sure that we live as one.
2: Wow. Now, did this connection come about for you only after you stopped eating animals? Were you thinking about cows and calves 15 years ago?
3: No, I've always had a, a natural compassion. I come from a very compassionate family, but it wasn't at the depth of where it is now in understanding how we're part of the collected universe and we're all part of a one universe. And there's no different as more and more as you explore, you understand there's nothing great about mankind. We're one of the entities that is within the full scope of life. And when you respect that, then you know that when when the biblical text thou should not kill, that is the same feeling of unwanted killing of anything that's alive, and it it's not just unique to man. I believe as a Christian, we should not be killing just for the sake of killing or the sake of consumption. That is what I believe. And I believe right alongside
2: you. Now, there's an exciting program starting here in New York at Bellevue Hospital. What's going on there?
3: We're truly excited about it. I always felt that my legacy was going to be policing, I was an extremely a vocal person around effective police and compassionate policing, and I thought that I did a great job and I was going to be able to retire with that as a legacy. But it's not going to come anywhere near what we're going to do here in Brooklyn and New York around health. That is going to be a legacy we all could be proud of. And One indicator of that is what we're doing with Bellevue Hospital. Bellevue Hospital is the oldest hospital in America. And we're going to open the first plant-based, nutrition-based clinic in October. So when a person comes in and later this month, when a person comes in and states they have diabetes, heart disease, or other chronic diseases that historically we thought were not able to be reversed, they're now going to have have the option, and that's an important term, the option, that they can go to traditional manner of taking medicines with negative side effects and that would only really cover up their symptoms or they can go down the hall to a plant-based, nutrition-based clinic with a doctor, a nutritionist, a chef, other individuals that's going to help them reverse their conditions and help them in at a minimum of really getting their conditions under control. This is an amazing step forward in medicine. You don't hear the conversation anywhere, the term reversal. It is almost, as you're saying, some profanity to the medical community. And now to have that concept in thought, because if we're successful here in New York to show the results, then it would cascade throughout the entire country and if not the entire globe. And we'll move from crisis to preventive and we'll have a healthy planet.
1: That
2: is so exciting. And I love it that it's happening here in New York City, (laughs) my adopted hometown. (laughs) So, if you want to know more about this amazing human being, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at BP, that's for Borough President Eric Adams. And of course, we'll put all of that information on the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net. In our last minute, Mm -hmm. what's your word of inspiration?
3: To keep evolving. We've always evolved as human beings, and sometimes we go full circles, going back to Hippocrates and saying, let food be thy medicine. We must identify that our pharmacies should be spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. Every time we walk inside a grocery store, we're going to make a determination. Are we going to heal or are we going to kill? That's the single choice that each person is making as they move through life, and particularly our parents. No mother wants to give their child anything that's going to impact their quality of life. It's imperative that we educate and share this with our parents and we can turn this around. I'm excited. The future is bright and we could do some great things.
2: I think we already are. I'm just so happy that you are in the world and so many other people doing wonderful things. It makes me very, very excited and also around this table where we are right now. There's another bright one just across the table, (laughs) Rachel Atchison, a wonderful young woman who's doing so much for animals, so much for everybody. So thank you, Rachel, for being in the world. And um, for President Adams, a gift for you, a copy of my book, Main Street Vegan. you, And everybody, stay with us. We're going to be back and talk about Wolf and the Lamb.
0: You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
1: Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support.
0: Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling. Those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm as we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Look who's making a difference in the world. It's the New Thought Walden Award honorees profiled in Unity Magazine, the September-October edition. Unity has joined with its new thought partners to honor 27 leaders serving in the areas of spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. These are people you need to know about. Pick up
1: Unity Magazine or go online to waldenawards.com. Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. Do you dread going to work every day and just pray for Friday? Get a fresh perspective on your career with Mo Fall and bring your soul to work every Thursday at 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern, here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A leadership mentor and career coach, Mo can help you go from underpaid, unsatisfied, and unappreciated to loving your life and career again. Join the show and let Mo guide you to make some real life changes. Tune in every Thursday here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment,
0: 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
2: Thank you for being with us. I just want to draw your attention to the blog this week at MainStreetVegan.net. It's about all the great food and things to do for vegans who happen to be in Salt Lake City, Utah. See, we are all over everywhere, so do take a look at that. And it is now my pleasure to introduce to you someone that I have recently come to know and come very much to admire, and she is Reverend Carol Saunders, an ordained unity and interfaith minister, a writer and blogger who hosts the weekly podcast, The Spiritual Forum. She also blogs at wolfandthelamb.com, and she's compiled an easy-to-read booklet that summarizes unity's early teachings on ethical vegetarianism carol believes that veganism is a spiritual practice and that it's one of the ways to live in alignment with a belief in oneness and the values of universal love and world peace welcome carol saunders thank you victoria it's great to be here with you well it's wonderful to be talking with you so what's your journey how did it all start you and vegan and animals
4: (laughs) well, I think um I think most children come into the world with uh, a general appreciation for life, And I think some of us have kind of a heightened sense of sensitivity. And I was one of those children. I had a very heightened sense about life and wanting to save every little being that was in front of me. And I, like most people, I was raised in a meat-eating culture. And it just really took me a while to figure out what it is that I was eating. But by the time I was 15, I just couldn't reconcile my values, my beliefs, my sensitivity, my appreciation for life and animals with with the meat on my plate. And so I announced to my parents, this is 1973, when there were no vegans or vegetarians in my life anywhere, I just announced to them that I was giving up meat and That was my start. I wish that I had learned more about dairy and eggs. I went vegetarian for decades before I really awakened to the um, the abuse in those industries. And so I really didn't become vegan until around 2010. And I kind of awakened through the book Dominion uh, by Matthew Scully, Um, I wish I'd known earlier, but I was vegetarian at a very young age.
2: That's a fascinating story. And because we come from that same era, I think it's a very common story that lots of us were vegetarian for a really long time. And now, interestingly enough, that learning curve has gotten so much shorter. Young people either go immediately vegan or they're vegetarian for six weeks. It's really different. I think that's fabulous. I think that's so wonderful. I think back at like 1973, I
4: didn't have anybody to even talk to about this. When I think back about it, I'm like, I'm pretty proud of that 15 year old self of mine because I didn't know anyone. And if if uh, and I think today there's lots of mentors like you that are out there really helping people make that transition.
2: So you are an interfaith minister, you're also a unity minister, and unity does have a history of vegetarianism. In fact, when they invited me to start this program back in 2012, the lovely woman who was in charge of things at that time said, you can call your show Main Street Vegan, it's about time we get back to our roots. And the roots are there, can you share some of those?
4: The roots are absolutely amazing. I think like a lot of people, I kind of thought that the Fillmore's were vegetarians. I knew that. I knew they had a vegetarian in. I kind of thought that it was for health reasons, since there's so much about the early unity, about healing. But when I dug into it, I found that it was so much more than I ever thought. It wasn't just something that the Fillmore's did in the early unity days. It was actually an identity of unity. It was part of what they actually not just were, but that they taught and believed and lived. And Charles Fillmore um, promoted ethical vegetarian living um, for the purposes of living true to our values, the values we have of uh, universal oneness and also spiritual development and world peace. And he would make these bold statements about things, uh, those kinds of things. And he would say, this is the stand of unity. Um, they were very, very strong in their beliefs. and. Not like only that, um, you may—I'm sure you know this—but not only did they have a vegetarian end, but they started a food company so that they could distribute products that were um, not comprised of flesh or dairy. And they really helped people in those ways. They had a vegetarian column. Charles Fillmore put in the statement of faith, which is a very strong statement. We believe that all life is sacred, and that man should not kill or be party to the killing of animals for food. Also, that cruelty, war, and wanton destruction of human life will continue so long as men destroy animals. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about this um, because not only was, um, okay, so that they were very, very focused on our relationship with animals. And I think it's hard for people to get that, but Charles Fillmore explicitly stated that when giving up flesh foods, which is what he called it, meat, he, he, he um, taught that, and he lived that, and he encouraged that. But he explicitly stated that the first reason to do that should be um, compassion for animals, or what he called humanitarian considerations. And then he said the second reason should be our compassion for people, those people that are we're asking to do the killing of animals for, that there's a moral effect that we're responsible for. And then he would say the third reason to do it would be health. It's all really fascinating.
2: Well, it certainly is. And I'm sure our listeners have all figured out that that 1903 quotation with which I started the program is from Charles Fillmore in an article that he wrote as to meat eating. And it comes from your little book, which, Carol, I have been giving this book. You gave me several copies, bless you, and I have been passing them out to a uh, getting them into the hands of of people who really want them and will really use them. It's called The Forgotten Teachings of Charles Fillmore, How Our Relationship with Animals Connects to Universal Love, Ethical Living, Spiritual Development, and World Peace. It's a wonderful, wonderful little booklet. Now, is that something that people can get on Amazon or do we go to your website? How do people get copies of this, people who don't know me?
4: Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. I'm going to have it on my wolfandthelamb.com website, my blog site. It's not there there now. It should be up in the next couple of weeks. But okay. if someone wants a copy or if they want it for their church, they can email me at revcarolsaunders uh, at gmail.com and I'll arrange to get some to them.
2: Okay, and that's Saunders, S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S, yes. Saunders at gmail.com and we'll put that on our show notes as well. So there are things, Carol, that I learned about the Fillmores from you and from your booklet that I didn't know about, that the University published Bibles in the early part of the 20th century, and they used a plant-based leather alternative for the binding. I mean, we think that these, all these alternative fibers and things are something that have come up in the past couple of decades, but this was 1900 and they found it.
4: It's fascinating. It's fascinating because I think this is another thing about what they were committed to. It was way more than a diet. This is a spiritual practice that they demonstrated and taught. What Similar to what I call ahimsa, that uh, him, Hindu Jain term for, you know, kind, kindness to all beings. And these non-letter Bibles um, are, demonstrate that. So it wasn't just about eating. It was also about what you wore
2: and what you used. Yes. And, and non-leather shoes. This was another thing. When you think about the shoes that people were wearing, certainly in the early part of their ministry, unity started in the 1890s. Now, Charles Fillmore did live to be very old. So he got into a period when people were wearing shoes more like we're used to now. But I mean, I'm thinking about shoes that you had to fasten with a hook, but somehow <laughs> they managed to find them that weren't leather. And and Also, they were living in Kansas City, Missouri, which is where I'm from, and I know what it was like growing up there and trying to be vegetarian like you in the 1970s. It's a great vegan town now. In the 1970s, it was tough. And I think about what it must have been like for them in the 1890s. Goodness gracious, they were so ahead of their time.
4: They were so ahead of the time and they were so committed. And that's what I really, really love. I know when I was a, a early vegetarian, people would often ask me, what about your shoes or what about this or what about that? And sometimes it'd be like, I can't find anything other than what, what's available. But I just love that they, I don't know, the product that they use is called keratol K-E-R-A-T-O-L. I don't know if it was something that they had made or that they found, but that was their plant-based a leather alternative.
2: That is so interesting. It reminds me of the story of um, Lady Muriel Dowding and and her husband, Chief Air Marshal Lord Dowding, who masterminded the Battle of Britain. And they went to uh, Queen Elizabeth's coronation in the early 1950s. And everybody at their level of peerage had to wear an ermine robe. And somehow <gasps> they managed to get fake ermine. And she showed me the pictures and they just looked like everybody else. <laughs> Oh my
4: gosh, that's fantastic! I yeah. love
2: that. I think it just goes
4: to show if you're really committed, that you can. We we're resourceful people. We we can find what we need when we're really committed.
2: Yeah, for sure. Now, for you, you are living in Wisconsin, the dairy state. Yes. How is it being vegan? Yeah, it's interesting. I live out in the country, um, but it has changed a
4: lot, Victoria. I, 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 I'm I not a Wisconsinite, so I've only been here about four or five years. But it's changed a lot, I know, since probably 10 years ago, because most restaurants I go to do know what vegan is. And I know that Milwaukee and Madison both have a big vegan vibe. And my grocery store, interestingly, um, I get the new product, Just Egg, on the, uh, the, the egg alternative that's made of mung bean. It's delicious, by the way. Um, is uh, probably about 3 meatless parts of my grocery store and this is like in the middle of of uh, rural Wisconsin. So things are changing.
2: That is thrilling because I still haven't found just egg in New York oh. City which means I probably haven't looked hard enough. I'm excited about it though. The yeah, idea of something-
4: They're having what? some supply problems too. I think they're having some supply problems too because okay. it's really popular
2: wow well the idea of something that truly scrambles i mean i like a good tofu scramble but something that's really a scramble (laughs) that's going to be cool
4: it's very good it's very it really
2: does have the texture of eggs so i was just speaking with uh, brooklyn borough president eric adams uh, about relating to his constituents and being a public servant well a minister is, is kind of a public servant, too, and you have a lot of people ministering to their needs and many aspects of life. Does your being vegan ever get in the way? That's really, really a good question. I I think it
4: got in the way in my early years because I let it get in the way. I I had that traditional concern, you know, people will leave or whatever, people concerned about their churches. I've completely transformed. I'm I transformed my church into a completely different type of ministry now, so that everyone can stand in their truth and be listened to and respected and understood. And so I love that I can speak what is mine to speak. And I had a very, very, very clear calling, like in November of 2015, and it was, I was at a writer's workshop, and it was, I was kind of like a Paul on the, on the, or Saul on the road to Damascus, that it was like, it was like God grabbed me and said, you know, you need to be a voice for the animals. And I was just like, no, I don't, no, I don't. Um, but because I just knew it would be difficult to maintain a ministry, to minister to people and also be a voice for the animals. But it was such a clear calling for me. So I spent the last few years um, discerning, uh, spending time with spirit, listening, trying things out. And I feel very strongly that those of us who are awake to the plight of animals, they are our brothers and sisters, and we believe that we are one, and we believe in universal compassion, and we believe we want peace. Everything that we stand for would say that that including animals in our circle of compassion is the the right thing to do from the standpoint of living in alignment with what we believe. And so I am really committed to being a voice to that. So not only being a voice for the animals, but also being a voice to help awaken mostly spiritually minded people. Because I think that our souls are yearning to wake up and our culture is kind of pulling us back, but awakening people uh, to live in alignment with what we believe because there's so much peace in that, and there's so much harmony in the body and joy in the soul when we do that. So I do my best to speak to be a platform.
2: And, you know, we always talk about how this is something that children have in them until it's educated out of them. But adults have it, too, because if, if you see uh, injured wildlife or if, if someone has a companion animal who's sick or who has passed away, I mean, people really care, we get a giant heart hug from those around us in these kinds of times, and yet the translation to the chicken on the plate isn't there. What's missing?
4: It's so interesting. I've, I've been thinking so much about that. I'm I'm also a student of the Enneagram, and I've been thinking about the instinctual subtypes. You may or may not know this, but, but all of us ha- respond either uh, through self-preservation, like a fear that we're going to be annihilated or social, like we're going to lose our social group, or uh, one-on-one intimate, uh, like we're going to miss our person. And I feel like, um, without going too far into that, I feel like this threatens people's sense of of, of being able to, to live. Like there's something so visceral about it. Like you're, you're going to take away my social structure. Um, I can't go to Thanksgiving with grandma anymore, or, or I, I can't survive anymore. And so I really feel like, like, what happens is our spiritual work needs to like override that amygdala that has that that has that deep visceral response that may not even be rational, and so it's really calling people to apply what we know spiritually, or to apply all of the lessons we know in unity, to apply. We know that our thoughts that we can change our thoughts and that we can create our world through our thoughts, and that we actually. Um, Uh, use those muscles and do it with the intention of living uh, as oneness, which is what we all want to do.
2: So, Carol, with your fellow clergy, and I think this is very interesting for anybody listening who is part of a spiritual community and certainly anybody who is a minister, priest, rabbi, imam, whatever they might be, It's one thing to minister to the flock and Mm -hmm. it's another thing when you're talking with your peers. And I know you've talked about different responses that you get in communication uh, online and in person with other ministers in unity, which does have this vegetarian history. What are they saying to you?
4: Well, I know the ones that are vegan or vegetarian who want to speak but don't feel they can. I hear things from them like, if I, if I bring these up at the pulpit, the church will clear out. That happens every time. And I just feel like that's so sad because we, we need to be able to teach and to speak. And I know the Fillmores were pretty darn stern in their teaching. Well, I shouldn't say stern, just really strong. Um, and then others who just don't want to hear it, um, that, that's just more difficult. It, they don't want to hear or they want to or they want to pursue it, maybe for health reasons or environmental reasons, which I think are wonderful reasons. But I go back to what Charles Fillmore said, that that first that first reason to be compassionate to others, that is what um, I just feel like we all need to awaken to. And um, so I, I I work with my minister friends. Um, some I know just can't hear it and so if they if they're closed-minded I just don't really bring it up I basically look for the little light that's it's a, a little crack of light that's in someone's consciousness before I really bring up the subject so I'll never bring it up like at and i at a meal or anything like that mm-hmm. um, that's always uh, wise <laughs> yeah it's always wise it's always wise and you know my blog is really focused on spiritually minded people my wolf in the land blog and it's, I write many articles there to try to, to, to create the spiritual angle or establish a spiritual angle when it comes to widening our circle of compassion.
2: So what kinds of theological arguments have you gotten from other ministers and just other people where, where their point of view is, no, God is fine with this? Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting
4: notion, isn't it? This idea that we are meant to be dominant and I, particularly in in, in particular in Unity, I think that's kind of fascinating because I think most people in Unity don't believe that, but that's not necessarily how we live. But I think that I think yeah, the if if you start with the idea that God gave everything to us and that we can do everything we want to it, then I guess it all makes sense. But that isn't even the truth. That isn't even biblical. I mean, biblically, we were given a vegetarian diet. And our humanity was in Genesis. And biblically, the only time that that humankind was allowed to uh, eat meat was after the flood, and that was most likely because the vegetation had been destroyed. And animals, it, biblically, it says over and over again <laughs> that, God, that God didn't like all the sacrifice and he didn't want all that blood and gore. And please stop it. So if we really actually even opened the book, I think we'd find a different
0: theology.
2: I had a a real biblical aha (laughs) last week. I was having dinner with Dr. Milton Mills, who's a wonderful vegan medical doctor and Seventh-day Adventist. And he he knows the Bible backwards and forwards. And he was saying, now, in Genesis, when God said it's not good for the man to to be alone, what did he do? And I'm going back to, you know, catechism class a thousand years (laughs) ago. And I said, uh, he made Eve. And Milton said wrong. <laughs> and he pulls he it up animals. Out the pulls it up, you know, on the laptop. And it's like he made the animals. Yes. And then yes. he made Eve. So everybody could play with the animals and be happy. I yes. just thought that was very interesting. And whether people are biblical literalists, which in unity we tend not to be, or or whether people are just seeing Genesis as an amazing story of, of uh, metaphysical principles, the idea that Humans shouldn't be alone. We need some animals. Exactly. And also, you know, Eden
4: was just a wonderful place to be. So, uh, oh, my goodness. It's so funny how, it, well, it's not funny. It's sad how far we've gone. But I really feel like our journey is back to Eden. I think that's what the spiritual journey is. And it's not just in our mind. It's not just in being kind to people. It's actually journeying back to oneness consciousness. And that mm-hmm. includes our animal friends and I don't know how it couldn't.
2: (laughs) Well, and and the name of your blog, wolfandthelamb.com, it comes from the Isaiah prophecy, which is this beautiful idea. And I think especially in times where there's a lot of discord going on in the world around us, that beautiful vision of peace on earth among uh, individuals, nations, and all species, Why can't we start to live like that now and see if maybe that will help bring it about? Well, and it is important
4: to know that it's the one thing that all of us have control over. You know, I don't have control over exploitation in other countries and human trafficking. I'm not involved in that. But I do have control over whether or not I choose to eat an animal today. And so I can create this wolf living with a lamb in my own reality today by not Partaking in the violence. Um, The other part about that blog, um, excuse me, about Isaiah, is not only is a prophetic place where all beings dwell safely together, but if you look at it metaphysically, the the wolf represents humankind's predatory nature, and the lamb is our innocent loving nature. And when we allow these two natures to unify, we become whole and our childlike nature is restored and it leads us to wholeness and back to oneness.
2: So beautiful. Tell us about your podcast, The Spiritual Forum. Oh, yeah. So a
4: couple years ago, I just could feel within me that the traditional church, for a number of reasons, was not the right structure for me to be a minister. And in part, I really wanted to be around people who are very committed to the spiritual journey and who wanted to be in dialogue about it and who, who who, their participation wasn't dependent upon uh, who I was other than myself. So I can be fully myself with the spiritual forum. We gather weekly, and we engage in dialogue on spiritual topics. And we produce it as a podcast, and I facilitate the dialogue. So it's not just the minister talking for 35 minutes or so, I'll tee up a dialogue for 10 minutes or so and then we pass the mic and we share from a place of experience, not what we know, not what we not like what our opinions are, but how are we doing our best to live spiritually. And from time to time, I'll weave in my own uh, my own very, very clear beliefs about a relationship with animals. Um,
2: and people, you know, they listen. Very cool. So let's talk about what's happening November
4: 11th. Well, November 11th, you're going to be our guest, and I'm so excited about that, Victoria. Um, we're we're going to be able to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, and your documentary, and um, this this veganism as a spiritual practice, whatever comes to us, and then allow those who come to reflect and and share also their their thoughts about it.
2: So we'll be live in one of the Chicago suburbs. Which one? It's in Deerfield, Illinois. Deerfield, Illinois. And where can people find out about that? Is there a website? Uh, yeah, all it, it, we could be on our podcast, on our
4: Facebook page, The Spiritual Forum, uh, thespiritualforum.org. And the spiritual Forum community Facebook page. It'll be on all of that. Wonderful. And yeah, it will be. It will be produced as a podcast, and it probably won't be uh, broadcast live, but it will be put out there on Stitcher and iTunes and SoundCloud.
2: Terrific. I will be in Chicago actually the day before we'll be showing the documentary A Prayer for Compassion um, through the National Vegetarian Museum uh, at one of the libraries there and we'll put all that information, um, it's already up actually on the events page at MainStreetVegan.net and we'll put it on the show notes too so thanks to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams thanks to you Reverend Carol Saunders and to all of you our listeners as well as to you Unity Online Radio for hosting this program. To everybody listening, God bless you and eat your veggies.
0: Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio,
3: the voice of an awakening world.